Welcome to episode 9 of the Stageworthy Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Today I'm talking to Sheila Skye. Sheila is a freelance manager and producer of arts of all kinds. In addition to being the executive director of Associated Designers of Canada, Sheila has been involved with theatre projects both large and small. On Stageworthy, I interview people who make theatre, actors, directors, playwrights, and more, and talk to them about everything from why they chose theatre to the work in progress and everything in between. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, and consider leaving a comment or rating. Arts management means a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Some people think being an arts manager means you function like an agent, mm-hmm. which I've done in the past. Some people think arts management means general management, um, uh, which they might see as different from administration. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in this business actually gets out of administration, mm-hmm. period. That's true. Um, so, whether it's by default they can't pay for it, or even even if they have it, they still need those kinds of skills to create a trajectory for their mm-hmm. career, right? So, um, uh, I think I, I don't really draw a distinction. Because you've done, I mean, too. Just looking at your, your LinkedIn profile. You've oh, I have a, a checkered past. Well, I wouldn't even call it a checkered past. It just is, you, you have you've done a lot of things and uh, worked with a lot of different companies. And, and different know, kinds of artists. Yeah. So dance, music, um, theater, which gets you involved with everybody, yeah. opera. Um, uh, and I would, up until a year ago, I would have said I have no experience in visual arts. But ADC just recently took a Canadian exhibit of sonography to Prague. Mm-hmm. So uh, I always tend to jump in at the big end of things. <laughs> so, so that was a gathering in Prague every four years, uh, a worldwide gathering of sonographers, and each country submits an exhibition. Um, and it's... Um, it's a big deal. Uh, 70 countries participate, mm. each bringing two exhibits, typically one for professionals and one for students. Um, and this year, uh, it used to be in a uh, convention center, mm-hmm. but it burned down. So <laughs> this year, it was in many, many venues in the old city of Prague. So it was more like a fringe style mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. art exhibit. And 180,000 people came to visit it. Wow. It was huge. Wow. And there are um, workshops and demonstrations and talks. We held a series of five talks right within our exhibit. Um, there's a ton of programming. It's also a, 
a competition. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole student component um, where each country's student body also uh, creates an exhibit. So we coordinated uh, with, I think it was 10, 10 separate schools across Canada, and we coordinated their ability to exhibit mm -hmm. at, at the Quadrennial. Were you in Prague? I was in Prague. I traveled to Prague. <clears throat> That's exciting. Uh, it was very exciting. It was very exciting. Um, and uh, it was absolutely fascinating. Um, there was some controversy. Uh, it was felt that the performative aspects of theater or performing arts were promoted more than sonography or uh, overly emphasized and it, it created some some controversy mm -hmm. as well um, but it it was uh, certainly an incredibly stimulating mm. event um, and it was a very uh, you know there were also like costume parades in the city itself mm -hmm. and um, uh, scenographic sculptures erupting in unusual places mm. and it was, um, I, I would recommend it for everybody. So it's kind of like a, a, a fringe arts thing. Yeah, it used to be more like a, more like a trade show, right? Yeah. When everyone was, everybody would have right. their designated area. <coughs> um, but I think also as a tourist event, mm. it, was, it was more fun being in the old city of Prague, which if you haven't been is sort of akin to uh, old Montreal or mm. old Quebec, only older, yeah. you know, even older, but, you know, narrow streets and completely higgledy-piggledy layout, and so you had all these serendipitous um, conversations mm. that would erupt while you waited in line to get in to see things. Yeah. And to have it out in the streets, I mean, if it was in a convention center, then only the people attending would get to see it, and having it out in the open puts it in front of more of an audience. It does, but we also saw um, uh, classes of, of children mm -hmm. coming uh, because it was in June, so I don't know if they were school or culture groups or camps or, or who they were, but um, kids as young as 8, 9, 10 were also brought to see this. Wow, that's um, great. Yeah. Um, and this was your first into that, but not your first experience in, in uh, facilitating a tour. No, I did uh, touring almost from the very beginning of my career. So um, when I first started working, I worked for a kind of umbrella organization. And like a lot of people mm -hmm. in this business, I was very fortunate in having a truly fabulous mentor. So after not very many small local productions, dinner theater, which was big back in the 80s, um, I worked for a man called Ron Francis. And so he had a small office. Uh, when I joined, there were just three of us. And um, we had the administration contracts for Associated Designers of Canada. So this is my second tenure right. at the organization. The Guild of Canadian Musical Theater Writers. Mm -hmm. Uh, we also were babysitting cats, which had just opened the first time at the right. Elgin Winter Garden. Mm -hmm. So I ordered toilet paper for <coughs> cats. Um, there, we also did uh, Nonsense, which mm -hmm. was a 
a musical that did really well in Toronto and it just kept moving from venue to venue to venue. So um, when Buddies was uh, Toronto Workshop Productions, it played there. That was the first transfer and then it ended up uh, as dinner theatre and then it ended up somewhere else. Um, So, uh, and then we also represented playwrights Mm -hmm. um, and in the course of gaining all that experience, uh, I also got to do a tour with um, two orchestras simultaneously to the Calgary Olympics. That was my first Mm. tour. 80 people, I went out as management with 80 people on my first tour. um, And we did six cities in nine days. Mm. Um, And it was busy. It was busy. Uh, And then I ended up touring theater when, uh, the Stratford Mikado with Brian McDonald mm-hmm. directed um, it toured under the wing of Stratford and then Brian McDonald took on the rights as Brian McDonald Productions collaborated with the Mervishes and mm-hmm. we mounted a tour that just kept growing it lasted eight months wow. and ended up on Broadway yeah 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 so that was a pretty extraordinary experience Mm -hmm. for a young person to be in that office and to see all these aspects of theater um, uh, all at the same time Um, and you know even by the time we were touring that large production uh, and doing all these other things we were still only about six people Mm -hmm. in the office and it was in the days before internet. Of course, yes. Right? So, <laughs> so internet is damn handy when you're touring. Yeah. Well, now, of course, now I have all kinds of questions about how there, you must have faxed a lot of stuff. Or was that fax was Fax, fax was, was new technology. Mm-hmm. Fax was new technology. I once used a fax that was just like a needle and it sort of drew it like an EKG. Oh, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, here goes my mystique, right? No, I'm no, definitely like, dating myself. See, <laughs> you can say that, but you're you're naming all of these shows that I remember from when I was in theater school. Like you mentioned, nonsense, and I can remember that appearing in different spots and all these things. So yes, yes. Back, we got a letter from the Vatican. Did you? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Was it a friendly letter from the Vatican? Well, it was huge, and it was gold, and it was very expensively mm. produced, and it arrived on the desk, and I thought, well, that's it. We've all been excommunicated. <laughs> But it was uh, a cardinal who had been in town and had seen it and had just loved it so <laughs> much so that he talked a bunch of nuns out of their tickets so that he could go see it again while he was still in town. <laughs> and so he sent us he sent us a very nice letter wow. to say that nice. he had really enjoyed the show. Nice. So how how did you find yourself in arts management? Oh, uh, well, it's not what I intended. So as a young, like high schooler, um, I was pretty strong in uh, English. I really enjoyed visual arts. Mm-hmm. I played music quite seriously. And I didn't really want to give any of them up. So mm-hmm. I decided in theater, um, I would be able to mix all those things. Um, and then I, um, uh, I went to Mount Allison University, which didn't really have much of a theater program, which actually turned into quite a, 
a plus because I took a lot of the theoretical work and then was just simply given the keys to the theater, mm. essentially, mm. and made work. Um, and so got to dabble in uh, just about every, every role mm. in theater. So I performed, I stage managed, uh, I did sound design for Michael Ondaatje. <laughs> Um, the collected works of Billy the Kid when it was still a new new play um, and uh, then from there I realized that I really didn't have very much technical knowledge mm -hmm. and uh, well in between there I had a stint at the Shakespeare Institute <clears throat> in Stratford but I went to the uh, to the University of Victoria the year they were opening their brand new building because they were getting a light palette mm -hmm. which was like fancy schmancy um, and their new building had uh, a flexible space, a proscenium, and a thrust stage. So I did all the things I didn't know how to do for one year. Um, I, I took uh, set and lighting design mm -hmm. um, and did some directing and uh, took more theater history. I'm a theater history geek as well. Um, and mm -hmm. so uh, what why I wanted to do that was because I had worked with directors who couldn't read ground plans and I didn't ever want to be one of those. I figured I would end up a director. Right. Uh, and then, you know, uh, the practicalities of making money and I, f I fell into this job um, uh, and uh, I discovered that the management part of it was, was a really fascinating logistical puzzle but also that it was really creative. Um, how you market things, how you marry a team, like all, you make so many yeah. um, creative choices that I didn't feel like I was not making art. Mm. You know? mm. yeah. um, the way many artists feel that they're not making art when they do administration. No, of course, yeah. Right? It, it's, it's, I was talking with a, another uh, artist recently about revisions as a writer and how that's not the fun part. That doesn't feel like creating. Mm. Similarly, in a lot of cases, people who work in theater, whether they're producing their own French or whatever, the administrative management stuff never feels like creating to them. Right. <clears throat> right. I think it is. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not yeah, yeah. I, there is an art to it. Well, I think I think how the fact if you think about it creatively mm -hmm. will will might be uh, one of the keys to success mm -hmm. and that you're not just thinking about what are all the things I have to do what are all the steps right. but you're thinking much more about the destination and, and the journey mm -hmm. than just ticking, ticking the boxes, the boxes. Yeah. yeah um and so you found out that you were good at it and that you enjoyed well, it well I didn't have a choice there were only three of us we all had to be good at it you know um yeah. and I I, I I like the unexpected mm -hmm. so uh so when somebody calls to say there's a snowstorm and we left a piece of gear in the last city 
and you know we're going to be late arriving can you arrange to have a vx2pr or something mm -hmm. in another city by midnight and um to, to me that's just like that's a caper you know like <laughs> you know it's that's a fun way to look at yeah. it yeah yeah um can you think of when you were first starting out in this industry one of the most important lessons you learned was I think it's about uh, relationships mm -hmm. that, well, Ron used to always say, you know, you have to be nice to everybody on the way up because you're going to meet them all again on the way down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that exactly, you know, proved to be the case mm -hmm. for him. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly when I've hit uh, uh, an unplanned hiatus, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was usually, you know, former colleagues that started the ball yeah. rolling again so I think it's about uh, relationships and thinking about the long term even beyond the existing yeah. project and um, uh, it's so it's okay to have faults just like no one person has all theatrical skills right. to, to the highest degree right it's good to have a, a understanding of almost everything yeah. you know at least a basic understanding of how your colleagues work but, but you won't be the expert in everything mm -hmm. so being transparent about what it is that you're not good at yeah. you know That's so good. and and is there anybody in the room who is good at that <laughs> you know um is that i mean when you put it together a tour you can't plan for every eventuality but do you look for people who are going along with you? Do you mark those people who have extra, the like bonus knowledge or extra knowledge? Or? Um, I look for, like if I'm hiring, mm -hmm. uh, I look for problem solvers. Mm -hmm. So people who are quick on their feet mm -hmm. when the unexpected uh, happens. Mm -hmm. um, and who are what I would call fluid decision makers. Right. That would be what I would look for, regardless of their skill skill set. Because mm -hmm. it one, it means they'll play well with others. Yeah. Right. Um, and the unpredictable is a given. Right. It's yeah. It's why we bother to do it live. Right. Yes. Yeah. So the yeah. unpredictable is a given. Yeah. Um, and better like it <laughs> <laughs> that's true enough that's true yeah. enough um you were talking about earlier about how um you had initially thought that you do theater um do you recall what initially drew you towards theater not wanting to give up any of the arts i wanted to give up like all of those arts so you were like from a kid you were you were dabbling in everything or mm. Yeah, I started playing music around mm -hmm. age seven. I was always an avid mm -hmm. reader. I was always a drawer. Um, not not that I'm a good drawer. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say bad, but I would I would say not good. Um, well, actually, that's one of the things about 
people who are artistic you know they always have this inside vision of what they're going to create mm -hmm. and very often what you end up creating is something quite different than what yes. you intended and that discrepancy between what you intended and what you create is very very annoying for the creator yes the audience knows none of that. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> they know none of that, and they love what's been created. Yeah. But I still don't think anybody would fall in love with my drawings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so, so you went into this arts management, arts uh, administrative world. Do you find that um, there's not enough attention paid to that by the artist? Like so many people that I know are making their own work, creating their own theater in some way or another. Um, is there some piece of advice that, that you, as, as somebody who is a, a manager of art, sort of a administrator, thinks that is like that missing piece of knowledge that they should have or? I wouldn't say it's, the, the issue is time. Mm. And it's not even just the number of hours in a day. It's that so many things need to be done at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the rehearsal hall, how do you answer calls from the press mm -hmm. without derailing the creative process or the technical process if right. it's in the last week? Mm -hmm. The issue is the need to do things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you need to uh, either be hyper-prepared in other areas um, so that but there's no aspect of theater or theater producing that's really turnkey mm -hmm. right and and opportunities crop up out of the blue um, and so it's it's the notion that they can do it all but the time will inevitably mm. o that they need will inevitably overlap mm. and so it's dealing with competing priorities mm. um, I think that's the the thing that causes the most exhaustion yeah. and uh, uh, grief and I think sometimes it's why we have trouble um, getting audiences I think the other thing too is, mm -hmm. uh, so having worked also in like devised theater, mm -hmm. you're already in well into the publicity cycle before you even know what the show is about, yeah. or anybody in that rehearsal room knows what the show is about. Mm -hmm. So um, that's another tricky thing, and I think a lot of artists feel that if I make a choice and close doors, I'll have trouble moving forward. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's been my observation that when you, that when you funnel, the flowering still happens. Um, but it does make some of those other functions easier to do well. You were talking, you mentioned about that difficulty of finding an audience. Um, last year, I think it was last year, uh, you were a part of a conversation that I think Derek Chua had spearheaded? Or, he instigated yeah. it with sort of a random comment on yeah. Facebook yeah. saying, it seems to me audiences are sometimes too small. I'd like to have a conversation about that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, 
I thought it was a good conversation yeah, and I yeah. said I would help and Sue was Sue Edworthy also yeah. participated and, and it was a robust conversation has it translated into any sort of action yet or what uh, uh, or what we might do about it but I have to say the last few indie productions I have been at I have felt like the the audience was quite well mm. populated mm. Um, and I don't always just go and see you know no. blockbusters or yeah. you know no it, it's it, I mean that's always been like one of the questions that I think in the work that I've created is, is where how do you get that audience and you can you, I mean there is a diverse audience for indie theater and each company has its audience however small that is I've often felt like there needs to be some kind of sharing of audience in some way. Like, I think yeah. there's audience enough for everybody. We just have to be able to tell each other who our audience is. Well, so I worked in the new music community, which mm -hmm. is like an even tougher sell. You know, like this is very strange, atonal mm -hmm. music. You know, maybe banjo and violins with glock and spiel yeah. or something you know it's it's not your first instinct to go in and see that um and we did a collaborative effort where we did some collective marketing mm -hmm. and so what it what it did was it made the fish who were in the pond feed at more stations mm -hmm. but ultimately i think what we need are more fish in the pond mm -hmm. um so there's been a couple of studies recently that have shown that the that what used to be the most elusive demographic, which is sort of the 18 to 30, yeah. were disappearing. I am seeing them in audiences, and there's stats mm. coming out of uh, England, the UK, that um, says that they are uh, the fastest growing sector. Mm. And I think it comes maybe from the... From two things the maker movement and what I would call the mashup yeah. movement yeah. so when people participate in arts they tend to want to see what other people do and so they would start coming out to see professional mm -hmm. artists um, so I, I'm actually quite mm. hopeful um, the, the key thing to do is to be sure that every time they come that they see something of quality yeah. and I think in that conversation you know when I when I posed a question about how many people of you have launched your projects even though you knew you didn't have enough money mm -hmm. and about 80% of the of hands course, yes. went yeah. up and uh, you know part of me sort of felt mm, maybe there should be some restraint around that for two reasons one we do say like is there just too much product yes, yeah right so so that would slow down production but increase perhaps the the quality mm -hmm. of the work I mean money isn't isn't everything and I've certainly done plenty of things with not enough mm -hmm. uh, money I've seen people do that and also lose their houses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
there's I think there's something to be said about patience and maybe that extra yeah. percolation time. But also, if you're going to be a, a one-man band, would also give you the time to also look after those administrative tasks yeah. in a more uh, organized way. Because I think we we tend to, I think a lot of people in the in the in the theater world have a tendency to have the idea, choose when they're going to do it, and then somehow between those two dates, worry about all that other stuff. I think that has to do with venue and the availability well, of venue. There is that too. There are <clears> enough of those. Yeah. Um, and I think that. I mean, I remember that that conversation at at uh, Theater Pass Mariah last year, coming away both um, excited, but also frustrated at the. We had all these people in a room. We had a finite amount of time, but we couldn't. There was no way to come up with an answer. We spent a lot of time talking about the audience that wasn't coming, and not a whole lot of time strategizing. Right. Which is kind of a shame. Yes, it's hard to strategize in a group of a hundred and some odd people. It is very hard. Right. I mean, a board meeting of ten can be hard to handle. True enough. Um, but I think that, that, you know, at least the conversation started, and like you say, some things, we haven't found any kind of, uh, solution yet. But yeah, the, I don't think we'll find a one-size-fits-all no. magic bullet. If only there was. Yeah, but, wouldn't that be yeah. nice? Sort of like a vaccine that made people mm-hmm. go to theater. Well, <laughs> I mean, I am looking at... Yeah, I'm currently obsessed, as many people are, with the musical Hamilton. Okay, yes. Are you, are you, do you know? I Hamilton? tried to get yeah. tickets, uh, and I was told, yes. yes, there's a singleton available next September. Yes, yeah. It is, like, I, I know so many people who are obsessed with the show, none of whom have seen it, only been able to hear the soundtrack. Um, and yet, if you look at the number of people trying to get tickets at the, at the lottery for just the front row um, and the number of people who are reselling tickets. There's obviously a hunger for it. Um, and maybe it's because it's something different, something unusual. It's certainly not like, it's, it's not a, the kind of thing that you would expect to see on Broadway, or maybe we should. I don't know. Because I know that, like, I see, I mention this musical to people, and people that are not theater people know exactly what it is. Well, it's success breeds success, yes, right? Yeah. So, um, if a ticket's successful, you if if a show is successful, you want to be among the people yeah. who have seen it. Um, certainly, um, you know, in the early parts of my career. We were much more flamboyant in our attention-seeking strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, so for one show, um, uh, so I, I worked with Gino Empri, who was, who yeah. was an impresario yes. yeah. um, and a pretty strong personality, and boy, we <coughs> had our moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but working uh, with him on a few projects you know we we did some pretty outlandish things dressed 
dressed um, an actress up as an angel and gave her angel food cakes mm -hmm. and drove her to all the radio stations at the morning rush hour. Mm -hmm. And she would literally burst into the booth dressed as an angel with an angel food cake. And she would do an on-air spiel mm -hmm. while the, while the uh, regular announcers sort of sat there open-mouthed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we did a live chicken audition for a show that happened to have a chicken in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it got a lot of coverage um, at the both the sort of the six and eleven o'clock yeah. news. You you know you don't see that kind of thing as much now. Mm. Um, these were bigger budget shows, yeah. but not huge, huge. Um, they were million dollar shows. No. You know. Um, Are we too? polite in our publicity seeking these days? Are we too, or maybe too reliant on social media for our publicity? Well, we don't have as much media media mm -hmm. as we used to. I, um, I worked for puppet mongers for a time. Mm -hmm. Now I'm into puppetry. Like yeah. it's, it has been a very uh, quilted career. Mm -hmm. um, and they recently, three years ago, which in a 40-year career is recent, yeah. um, remounted the first show they ever did. So I was in their old publicity files, and I was noticing that you know in Toronto when they opened, they got like eight preview mm -hmm. articles, and there were like 12 reviews. So it was really hard to uh, overlook. Uh, we used to have subway advertising too, shared subway advertising mm. that was on the pillars, sort of a what's on, and yeah. it had, you know, uh, 14 to 16 shows advertised mm. on it. Um, yeah, that's all gone away. That's all gone. And now that's if you're gone. looking for, for media in the papers, like the sun won't go to anything. Um, the, you know, they go to, they, they're, they're really booked up. It's hard to get in. Yeah. Now for the independent, and that's about and and uh, of course Moonion Theater and uh, yes, the Toronto State. The blogosphere is becoming a lot, yeah, a lot more important. Super important. Like yeah. If you, if you can't get that, well, I mean, a review there is is more likely than a review in some of the newspapers. Yes, and a review will also end up in somebody's email box mm -hmm. through the mm -hmm. through the blog. The people who are really passionate about theater. Yeah. Um, we'll tend to get those yeah. those reviews, uh, you know, the equivalent of hand delivered of course, yeah. in this day and yeah. age. So yes, definitely. But it does make it, um, you know, opening nights were even at relatively small theaters mm. were more gala esque, e even if yeah. they were an indie theater. So like nobody showed up in, you know, ball gowns or whatever. But they would show up wearing something festive. Yes, yeah. You know, um, and you don't you don't see as much of that now. And I think that was part of the entertainment value for the audience, too, was like to go to the theater and maybe you didn't like the show, but my God, did you see those hats? Yeah, you know, like yeah. so. Yeah. Um, uh, and and uh, even at um, uh, something like. Uh, next stage. I mean, mm. when I go, I see almost strictly industry yeah. people, and when I see non-industry people, I think they feel a bit uncomfortable, like yes. they're not yeah. part of the vibe. 
Um, and yeah. so I think that's one thing that uh, we need to throw better parties. We need to throw better parties. That's something that I think we also have to, like, we're, we do a lot of preaching to the choir in indie theater because that's our audience. That's yeah. who we can reach through social media or our fellow people. And it's so, it's hard to get beyond that. Yes. Um, yes. And yet, if we want to get an audience out, we have to figure out how to. Yeah. Group sales hardly exist yeah. anymore. Like in the early parts of my career, we would hire someone separate who would just like hit the towers mm -hmm. and find those people who were organizing group outings. But corporations aren't doing that anymore. No. Um, and partly it's the, it's the double income mm -hmm. uh, lifestyle, yeah. which was just starting back yeah. there, sort of in the yeah. yuppie area, era, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I did Yuppies the Musical and <laughs> at the Sheridan Center once upon a hundred years ago. Um, so, so a lot of that has changed. I'm happy to see curtains getting earlier mm -hmm. because I think it used to be people would go home and come back, but now with traffic, yes, that's yeah. an impossibility. I also think that an earlier curtain means people are more likely to go out because it doesn't mean a super late night. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you don't, you can't sit down for the a long dinner, but who does that anymore? And, uh, you know, it means that, that you're not getting home at 11.30 at night. That's right. If you're seeing a longer show. That's right. Because even though you always had to go to work in the morning mm -hmm. in either era, in, in this day and age, you're more likely taking the kids to daycare before. Yes. Like, every, everything yeah. has just accelerated. Yeah. So... Um, so one of the things that's really wonderful about theater is turning off your cell phone. Mm -hmm. And we're always sort of apologetic about, you know, please turn it off and don't dis don't disturb the holy experience. And part of me says we should say, guess what? You get to turn off your cell phone and no one's going to bug you. It's, what, what's funny about that is we have been very apologetic about it. I've seen a lot of very apologetic announcements about it. Um, but I also think about when I go to a movie and they have several announcements about turning off your phone, but they're not apologetic about it and people actually do it. Having worked in, I worked for a while as an usher at the Ed Murphy's Theater, and the number of people who it doesn't matter if you announce it, the number of people who don't, and who are pulling up their phone in the middle of the show or taking pictures during the show or video during the show, um, is almost a full-time, is part of the job of the usher to try to shut that down. But theater doesn't do as good a job as the movie theater of getting people to turn right. off their phone. Right. And maybe we should look at it as a as we should be more forceful about it and find cleverer ways to do it because nobody listens to that announcement. Right. Well we also tried the opposite right? Having the tweet seats and the you know having a section for right. people who who wanted to do that. Um, I, I've never done it but toyed with the notion of um, you know, should we do, should we do a short encore that everybody can, uh, can video yeah, and, yeah. I, I mean the, um, uh, it, it, it has some problems, uh, perhaps with, um, equity and mm -hmm. maybe also even with ADC, but it's, um, you know, giving the audience that opportunity, and that would be part of the yeah. of the marketing to say, like, yeah. you know what, 
enjoy the show, put your phones away. We promise there'll be something fabulous at the end of the show yeah. for you to share with all your friends. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, those tough questions because I've never, tweet seats for me was never an attractive thing and kind of almost, I felt like it was kind of pandering. I never felt like right. it was an effective thing. Well, some, some people want to go to theater as a social experience, mm-hmm. and some people want to go to theater as a contemplative yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. And um, they're not segregated, no. right? Yeah. So it's tricky to yeah. know what to do. And I haven't, it's funny because I haven't heard tweet seats. When you said it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's seats, sort of gone the way of the dodo already. Like, for, forgotten about that already. Yeah. Because I think a lot of, there were a bunch, I mean, Marvish said they weren't going to do it. And uh, I think a lot of theaters just figured out that it just wasn't worth the trouble. Or yeah. thought that it wasn't, I'm not sure. Um, but things that you do that are out of the ordinary, like mm-hmm. Tweet Seats very quickly becomes banal. Yes. These are the people who watch theater with their thumbs and they're over there. Yeah. It's quite banal. Yeah. Uh, but when Marvish did the... Um, uh, they did the blind dating so they would match up oh, yeah, singles yeah. like that sold tons of tickets yes, and that's sort yeah. of a more creative that's super creative right um, and so yeah. that's the kind of um, marketing that used to be more common mm-hmm. um, you know I I've I haven't seen a street team for a show in Ages. I mean, the Fringe kind of has that version yes, of street yeah, yeah, teams, yeah, yeah. but but why not regular? I've seen theater. The Mervish street teams out for some yes. of their shows, like the Kinky Boots people. And I remember for Anything Goes, they had their street teams. I've I've seen them, but I've never seen like I've seen them, but I haven't seen them because they would come to the Ed Mervish Theater to drop off some flyers and things like that, or maybe use the washroom or whatever. But then I never actually really saw them out on the street right? very often. Maybe they were just staying in specific areas. Right. But Mervish does that, but there's nobody else. And that's what used to that. be considered like guerrilla marketing. Yes. And now yeah. we talk about it like it's mainstream marketing. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah. So. I mean, it, it, it's... Maybe we have to do more... like guerrilla marketing. Take the, take the cast out more yeah it will cost it but cost, but hopefully but it will yeah. pay off in so the take end some, some fringy lessons yeah you know? yeah um speaking of fringe uh I, I noticed that you had organized across canada to work for crystal crystal bartelzi yeah which show was that uh i did both uh chaotica and one moon okay. when one moon was new right um and um, that was really interesting. That was around the time when social media was just starting to become mm-hmm. a force. And what I discovered is that I could build relationships with the press mm-hmm. through Twitter before she got there so that we could get previews. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're a come-from-away artist, yeah. it's really hard to get that those early audiences. Yeah. Um, and if you don't get them, there's no word of mouth. So having yeah. that preview is really important so um, that was sort of my focus so uh, yeah I was phantom tweeting mm. jig is up was that was that fringe or was that that like, was fringe, fringe? Yeah. that was yeah. fringe mm. yeah mm. yeah 
um, but she would do five or six cities. Mm -hmm. um, she never had the Canadian lottery. She would just um, put in her applications and then uh, in cities which she wanted to do, she would very often do a bring your own venue. Yeah. When, when we, I did a tour with Keystone Theater and we did several cities. We didn't get the, the, the cast lottery. Um, right. You know, we got our luck in, in each individual city. I mean, I, I almost know nobody who got the, whoever gets the, the cast Well, there's, there's just a handful, That's yeah. That's right, yeah. But it, going to a new city was always difficult. Um, the only person you know is your billet. That, <laughs> a lot of times I didn't even know that person. Yeah. I, mean, I, didn't, when, I didn't see my billet ever. Right. When I was on tour sometimes. It's just like, I had a key. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's, it's... So how did you cope with that? Like, how did you... So, I mean, we had our cast. So we had um, four people in the cast, plus a piano player, plus our stage manager. Okay. Um, so we had each other to, to rely on, just in terms of, for our sanity check. And, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. helping each other get through each day. Um, and also for, like, planning out where we were going to promote mm -hmm. each day and how we were going to do it. But also, um, we we started, we managed to, to gather a bunch of word of mouth, starting in Montreal when we did that. And although we skipped Toronto, by the time we got to Winnipeg, people had heard about our Montreal show, so we managed to, as we went through, there was a buzz, that, and I don't quite know how that fringe buzz travels, whether it's by osmosis or something else, but right. when we got to Edmonton, it was already, like, our, uh, like half of our shows, like, we were selling out already, and so... Right. I don't. Sometimes I don't know how that kind of buzz actually works. Right. Well, you were six too, so you would be able to start your own buzz yes, being, yeah. by being a gang for, yeah. a solo oh, artist. for a solo artist. Now, yeah. mind you, Crystal works incredibly hard, and yeah. she was out there in her wedding dress, tap dancing. Yeah. Well, she's she's the she tap danced live on radio. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I looked. I mean, I looked at. We toured. You know, there were all kinds of solo artists touring with us at the same time. You know, that's part of the fringe family that develops as you go from city to city. Yes, yeah. And some of them are like, like I'm doing a solo show in Hamilton this summer. And I look at them for how I should promote my show. I look at somebody like Jem Rolls who never stops. Yeah. Um, and just other people as well who just like, they're everywhere. They, they are in every venue handing out flyers and they're talking about their show all the time. Um, which for an introvert is is pretty frightening to do, but right. if you want to right. have a have a successful show, you have to do it. Yeah. Um, did was it an unusual thing for you to sort of like manage a fringe tour, or was that is that something you've done? I don't have any usual. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. I think if you Google, you know. Crazy project, no money. My mm -hmm. name comes up, you know. Like, <laughs> so, so I like I don't really have a a usual, um, and uh, so like so for Crystal, I, I you know I 
I helped her logistically somewhat, um, but it's, I mean, it's only one person in yeah. a small set. There's not a lot of that. It was more about that, that marketing mm -hmm. aspect and then just tracking the cash. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that we could look tracking the cash in an organized way so that in subsequent years she would have better ideas about where she should mm. go because sometimes where you have the, the biggest audience doesn't always mean the most profit mm -hmm. depending on the circumstances so yeah is there so you don't have the usual but is there something that you enjoy doing more than other things? Is there uh, a kind of project that speaks to you more than others? I'm pretty motivated by novelty. Mm. And so novelty might mean that it's something I haven't done before. For me, that would be a great excuse to, to take on a client mm. or accept a project. Um, but it could also be, and but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the art part mm -hmm. that is unusual. It might be something like ADC, right? Where I've come back a second time, mm -hmm. you know, and to look at what is the same, you know, what hasn't changed, um, how the circumstances of working have changed and what needs to change to make everything work better for designers. I mean, that's to me, that's a really intriguing puzzle, just as intriguing as, you know, how do I pack uh, so much gear into so small a truck, or, <laughs> or, or how do I make so much money go so far? Right. Or, um, but I do find as I get older, I become more interested in impact. Mm. And so, I'm more interested in building healthy companies, mm -hmm. I think, than um, building, like, a, a participating in a, in a great show, which is a, mm -hmm. a one-off. I'd like to see healthy companies. I'd be interested in, you know, doing what I can to create a healthy sector. Mm -hmm. um, those, for me, are the, the bigger and more interesting challenges um, so I'm uh, what I'm finding I'm really enjoying these days is thinking more strategically and consulting with people about how to take them into a new phase or how to get them out of a muddle mm -hmm. or just is there a way they can do things that's less exhausting that's a pretty common theme mm. um, I find that more uh, sort of my current um, and so even for ADC, as we you know move in, we had a, a four-year strategic plan. We managed to succeed at about eighty percent of it, mm -hmm. you know. So some will carry forward, but you know, looking for uh, a new way, uh, you know, what our focus should mm -hmm. be, and and uh, how fast can we move these pieces, mm -hmm. and in what order can they be moved most effectively? Mm -hmm. It's and building consensus in a large organization that is quite, you know, that is really made up of quite individualistic individuals. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's it's really fascinating. Mm. It's really fascinating. Mm. 
And then the other thing I'm looking at is um, uh, we find our circumstances difficult um, as artists. And we talk about things like, oh, well, you know, new media, it's made it, you know, it's a seismic change for live artists. Mm -hmm. And um, we talk about, you know, shrinking funding and that's also a seismic change for mm-hmm. artists and I've been looking at theater history and thinking well you know those seismic chart changes have always been there like you know if you were a, a theater artist during the French Revolution well all your patrons were beheaded yeah like that's a minus yes yeah. you know um, uh, Shakespeare in Stratford there was the plague Mm-hmm. Um, 25% of the population died. That's way worse than SARS. Yeah. You know, how did he adapt? I mean, mm-hmm. um, uh, and looking at those artists that uh, died wealthy, mm-hmm. looking at, reading about their careers and about what they did mm-hmm. um, uh, to see if I can identify characteristics of healthy organizations. We, we, there is a lot of, in, in the theater, a lot of hand-wringing about that new media, Netflix and, and, and iTunes and, and all the things that are making it easier for people to stay home. I've been talking with a few people who sort of mentioned, who have felt, mentioned feeling like what people are looking for is a reason to leave instead of like, my entertainment is outside, like give me something that is like is that reason to, to leave the house and go see a thing, right? Um, like sleep no more in New York or uh, uh, a Hogtown in Toronto with some lady, things like that. Interesting things they that they might not see normally. Some kind of spectacle. I think spectacle is more important right. now than it ever has been. Um, uh, well, in terms of getting um, getting people out of. Their comfort, right. Comfortable so my, my son also, also works in the industry. He works in sound. Um, and um, he has worked on a number of projects that I find amazing. First off, they're, they're not funded. Um, uh, so these are events like Renegade Parade, mm-hmm. uh, which has been a fixture of Nuit, an unsanctioned fixture of Nuit Blanc. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, also works on things like Anime North. Mm-hmm and um, Atomic Lollipop. Right. Um, and uh, these, these are very large events. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, they're, he's, these are just young kids putting them together. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and they are really well attended. Mm-hmm. And they're not spending money on marketing. So in looking to the past, I've also been looking to the future mm-hmm. and trying to identify what is it that they do that makes people come out mm-hmm. in droves. And for the moment I've decided, and this might be different next month, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that they really walk very well the line between the familiar and the novel. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows what a parade is, mm-hmm. but this is a parade that's more like a rave, right? right. Or everyone, um, uh, knows about um, uh, I think about Atomic Lollipop where they you know they have a reptile petting zoo yeah. and they have uh, pillow fights and they have uh, jumping castles and so they always make sure that there are many familiar mm-hmm. elements 
And then they also have a few that are like, I've never seen that before. Yeah, yeah. That bring that also create excitement. So they mm-hmm. they make sure. And I think it's like when those those um, non-industry people come to say next stage and they yeah. they feel excluded. Well, there's not too much there that's familiar to them. You know, the yeah. usual routines of the box office are disrupted, yeah. and so there's there's. Um, I mean, that sort of inside baseball situation with, like, a next stage is one of those, I mean, it, it is kind of, a, it's a barrier for people who are not from the industry. Right. And you know what, maybe that's fine, maybe that's what next stage maybe, is, it doesn't yeah. have to be for, um, I, I mean, their sales continue to increase, of course, yeah. um, uh, so, so there's really nothing wrong oh with that yeah. so so maybe that's mm. that's what that event should be yeah. but I think if if we want to go to a broader um, public and I think it's it's uh, particularly in the indie sector where people are interested in pushing barriers mm-hmm. um, how do I explain this it's like the kid in the class who practices piano a lot mm-hmm. and they get much better than the other kids who only practice a little. Yeah. So theater people do theater all day, every day. They become tremendously literate about, you know, theater conventions, and yeah. you know, they warp them and riff on them, and it's all incredibly uh, exciting to them. But for people who don't understand theater conventions, they don't have a lot of theater experience. Mm. That's um, that's too big a leap. They're yes. they're, yeah. they're not there yet. So we need people to also program that that middle stuff. We need that very basic mm-hmm. conventional stuff. We need something in the middle, and yeah. we need the, we need all three, mm. I think. Yeah. And there's probably four and five kinds that I'm not even thinking of that we need too. Mm. You know, we so, need all kinds, and we need places to. And then we need to figure it. out where to find the right audience, and maybe it's with co-promoting with. With the, with the theaters, rather than with the theaters that are, say, groundbreakers, uh, also promoting to the to the theaters that are likely to have patrons who are just one step behind, mm. but not those that are two and three steps yeah. behind. Mm. I do think that that, that cross promotion is very important for for indie and mid theaters. I think I think that's something that, right. that will help us out a lot. But to get more fish in the pond as opposed to just making them eat more often, we need to also start cross-promoting with non-theater. Now when you're saying fish in the pond, are you, are the fi- is the fish the audience? The fish, the fish is the, the audience. Okay. The fish is yes. the audience. Yes. And the theaters are the feeding stations, right? right? But so, so, you know, fish can only eat so much. Right. And... We need, yes, I so see, so we yeah. need new fish in the pond. So who should we be cross promoting with? Mm. Um, so visual artists mm-hmm. are among the most artistically promiscuous. So mm-hmm. um, people who enjoy visual arts are more likely to see music, dance, mm-hmm. theater than say someone who loves dance is uh-huh. likely to see go see a music or theater. Right. So um, mm. I'm not sure we're doing a whole. A whole lot in that. No, because I think that we get very Area. insular, and we look at our 
little corner and that we don't think too much beyond it in terms of our promotion. I think that, that a lot of times we... Well, we run out of time to do oh, anything more because yeah. we're trying to do everything. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's mm-hmm. either you need to, to delay your project or do a little bit less so mm-hmm. that you can devote more time to that or you need to get someone to help you with mm-hmm. that. Uh, are there ways that we could help each other? Probably. I know I know for myself, learning to say I need help is one of the biggest lessons in terms of, for me, uh, producing. Like, to be able to say, I'm overwhelmed, can you help? Is sort of a, a, sometimes a difficult thing to say. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And, and also, too, it, it means letting go of letting go of control a mm-hmm. little bit um, and you'd think in the theater we would be better at it because the art form itself is so collaborative mm-hmm. we should be good at it but we're often not no we're often not i think sometimes that um, might be a little bit pride but also um no i think mostly pride like both in terms of not wanting to seem like i can't do everything but also um, well, there's also the tradition of suffering for your of art, course, yes, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so, which um, there are times when it's necessary, but it shouldn't yeah. be necessary all the time. No, no. Um, so, I, I know when I came back to ABC and discovered things that had not changed, and my response was, you know, guys, if you've made small changes in the 20 years since I've been gone, where do you think you might be today? Yes. You know, and so I would say, perfection is off the table. Mm. It's not part of the menu. Mm. And now the board sometimes says that to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. so, so they heard the message, but yeah. Um. In terms of your online presence, I know that you are on Twitter. Yes, but although I haven't been very much recently. No? Um, no. Uh, although I like Twitter. It's mm-hmm. very different than Facebook. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, and so, uh, but re- more recently it's been uh, mostly Facebook. I don't have a website. No. I, I, I need to get on that. Um, <laughs> Maybe I should ask for help and not worry about making it perfect, perhaps. Yeah, hey, yes. But um, I, I tend to always have things that crop up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, LinkedIn is has been, been the main. It, it's kind of a different. I did uh, I did some work in the academic mm. community as well, which is what put me on there because I was looking to connect with academics. Yeah. So. Um, and and just out of curiosity, I, I actually don't think it's a very good marketing for LinkedIn. Yeah, no, I don't think LinkedIn is good for that sort of thing. Yeah, mm. stock's not doing very well. <laughs> I don't know how long, how much longer we'll have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, probably Facebook will buy it or something. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're pretty much uh, oh, just after the hour. So, well, thank you so much for well, time with me today. It's, it's been, been a treat. Thank it's you. It's been a treat.